Well, I want to get into the Word of God. The theme this year is on the screen. It's full. There's a scriptural verse. I'll not read it again. It's from Philippians. And I've been in a series now, and the series is entitled, Father Knows Best. Say that. Our Father Knows Best. Would you do that? I'm talking about our Heavenly Father. And this text... Uh, the, the series, rather, is taken from Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, and Jeremiah 29 and 11. I've read them very many times in this series, so I'm not going to read them today, but I made note of them that if you wish, that you can look them up. They're also in the notes embedded in the podcast. And uh, if you don't listen to the podcast, you're missing out on something. We have people all over the world, from China to Russia, over 100 nations that listen to the podcast, U.S. military uh, in all 50 states as well, we have people that are listening to the podcast. There are ministers that preach the same series that I preach. They wait for the notes to come out, and they preach the same series a week behind me. And that is such a compliment to me. And I don't take it pridefully. I take it with humility and say, thank God for them. So look up our podcast, either through the podcast in the app store or at our website. There, I think, are two different ones, and you can find them both. In this series on Father Knows Best, I've talked about already one of the series, many series within this series, has been entitled Father Knows Best, How We Can Prosper. Tony came behind that last week and, and secured that thought again. And then I've also taught a series on the blessings. Our Father knows best the blessings we can experience by becoming, everybody say this word, empty. Amen. You become empty that God can fill you up. Today I want to start a new series, and that's what this stuff is about on the the platform, and we're not done. They're still even creating more. Uh, I thank God for Scott McKinney, who built all of this and has got more that's going to be up there. This will be covered up, ladies, don't worry, for Mother's Day. And uh, then I come back the week after and pick up the series again. And then the week after that, Bishop Tudor Bismarck is going to be with us. And it's been a while. And so we'll cover it up then, and he'll come in and set the house on fire. And, and then I'll pick it up again. Amen. But my, my, I want to talk to you about Father Knows Best How We Can Live Strong. And so this series title is going to be Live Strong. Say, Live Strong. Would you do that? I read in 1 John 2, verse 12 through 14. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Just say, thank God for that. Amen. Verse 13. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. There are several things I want to point out here. I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong. Everybody say strong. And the word of God abides in you. You can't be strong without the word of God abiding in you. And he said, you have overcome the wicked one. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you have overcome the wicked one. Now, what you might not know is that your neighbor might be struggling, and they might not see themselves as victorious, but this word right here says you are. And the challenge in life is to get enough of the word of God in you that you accept what God says about you and reject what you and the world and the devil and everybody else has been saying about you. 
You're not who you think you are. You're who God says you are. Amen. This is written very strangely. There's actually, as it were, there's a a certain syncopation. There's a certain rhythm in what John is writing. He writes first to children, then to fathers, and then to young men. And then he does it again. Children, fathers, young men. I'll pick up on the reason for that the next time I preach. But in Hebrews 11.33, the writer says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and listen, out of weakness were made strong. Say that, out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I'm starting a new series today, as I've mentioned, entitled Live Strong. My message title for today is how to confront your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. Father, would you please speak to us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Let your word be open unto us and give us revelatory insight because that revelation that you give us, which is the understanding of the word of God, changes our lives. Changes everything about our lives and always for the better. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. And everybody shout it, amen. Amen. One of the great contradictions and enigmas in life is that every strength has an equal and corresponding weakness built into it. That is one of the single most profound things you will learn in this journey of life is that your strength whatever it is, has a weakness built into it. That's the flip side of the coin. We see this in so many different areas of life and with so many different people. We have observed great achievers who are remarkably weak in other areas related to their achievements. I could start calling names that are in the news every day right now. People who really want to do something lasting make an impact that endures And leave a legacy with their lives. Recognize the very thing that I'm saying. And they work to turn the weaknesses that they have come to understand they have into strengths as well. I'll give you some examples. A person can be brilliant and yet really struggle to be patient. Because they are brilliant, they don't have patience with those who are not. And when someone else is not as gifted intellectually as you you can end up being abysmally poor at interpersonal relationships. And this brilliant person can go their entire life and never make a lasting contribution with their brilliance because they can't make a relationship work and no one, not even a family, wants to follow them. Even their brilliance, in their brilliance, they fail to make a contribution. On the other hand, someone who is gifted with patience can often let things, they have the gift of patience, they can let things that are harmful and destructive go on far too long in their lives. And they end up getting wounded over and over and over again because the flip side of this gift of patience is the weakness that allows you to be taken advantage of by people who wish to do that. An individual who is very passionate about what they believe, great passion and fervor, 
and who has a very clear vision of what needs to be done can struggle with anger toward those who do not see things as clearly as they do and they therefore alienate themselves from those they could otherwise be leading. You don't have to go any further than news today to see great examples of that where there are injustices and things that exist in society and people try to address those, but instead of doing that with patience, they have so much passion that they're critical, they're angry, and they cut off people that they could otherwise be leading toward a resolution to some of these problems that exist in society. Someone who is very compassionate and merciful can be taken advantage of by the same person over and over again because I don't want to live in a world that doesn't have compassion and mercy in it. But I will tell you as a pastor, I've had to counsel a lot of families where even their own children or family members took advantage of their compassion and conned them time after time. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have been conned time after time by the same person in this building because a lot of hands would go up. Let's talk about spirituality. That's a great gift. But you can be so spiritual that you are no, come on, say it, earthly. Good. You don't help the kingdom. You don't help the world. There was a young man that used to sit right over there where Tony is sitting on the front pew beside me, front row. His name was Anthony Clark. Does anybody remember Anthony Clark? Many of you don't even know the name. He was the world's strongest teenager. When I tell you his neck, it didn't have a neck. His head sat on these massive shoulders. His arms were serious, as bigger around than my thighs. He was strong. They one time put a 6,000-pound elephant in a wheelbarrow, and he pushed it. He'd pick up the back end of a car or a truck. I'm not making that up. He used his strength in incredible displays of, of almost superhuman ability. I mean, he set the world's bench press record, but long before anybody else could bench press 700 pounds, Anthony Clark did it. You'd go to the gym and he'd work out and guys would like, because he would do dumbbell curls with 135 pounds in each hand. I'm talking about he was strong. The downside of his strength was all of that muscle had to be fed by oxygenated blood and it had to be pumped from his heart. And his heart had to work overtime to feed all of that. And he died at the age of, I can't remember if it's 38 or 39, of congestive heart failure. Tremendous young man. Tremendous young man. He loved God. And I miss him. And that's been years ago now. Even being a great preacher and teacher has a weakness that, that if you are a great preacher and teacher, you need to be able to discern and then address. When I was younger, I want you an exceptional preacher, pastored in Dallas. And he asked me to speak for him, and I used to preach for him. And when I first went there, I was actually surprised at the, at the ragtag condition of the church. Because this man would preach conferences with thousands and thousands of people And man, he could preach. He was eloquent. He'd been raised in Jerusalem. He had this proper British accent, educated there. And he was part Arab, part British. And and so he had this olive complexion. He was tall and handsome and very distinguished looking. And when he walked into a room, I mean, if there were other people, they all stopped and turned. 
and he was just an incredible preacher, still lives. I went to preach for him. His, his health, health is not good, but a great man of God. And when I went to preach for him, I was shocked. And he and I were talking after service, after I'd been there, I don't know if it was the first time or second time, about the congregation. And he very candidly told me what his problem was. He said, I am such a good speaker that I preach and I pastor from the platform and I do not need to build leadership within the congregation. He said, that is my weakness. And he said, what you see in the church is the result of this, the weakness in my strength. And when he first said that, I'm such a good preacher, you know, I mean, when I hear stuff like that, it almost borders on someone being braggadocious. And so I, I can't say stuff like that. It just it, it doesn't seem to come from the right place in my heart. And so I wondered where it came from with him. But the longer he talked, the more I realized that he had the rare ability to be truly honest in his personal analysis of himself and his weaknesses. On the other hand, I've preached for preachers that were not good preachers. Some of the largest churches in this nation are led by preachers who, when I heard them, to borrow an old term, they can't only preach their way out of a paper bag that's wet. I'm serious. But you know what they had? A great ability to lead. There's always a weakness built into your strength. And we all have flaws. And by God's grace in this series, I want to address those. Out of weakness, we can be made strong, Hebrews said. We can be made strong. And I'm going to tell you about every person in this building, including moi. You've got a weakness, and I do too. And some are more visible than others, but trust me, they're still there. Because in this flesh, there is no good thing. I don't care how saved you are, there's no good thing in your flesh. And if you let your flesh, it will carry you to places you don't need to go. Come on, help me out right now. Amen. Now, I like to tell jokes, and I've, I've got to make this clear these days because we live in such a super sensitive society. I'm part Cajun. I'm Cajun. Do you understand what that means? I was raised with marsh mud between my toes. I'm married to a full bleed Cajun. If you're not from Louisiana, that's full-blooded Cajun. Amen. And like I said, that little woman, she knows how to cook a Cajun meal. So I couldn't have picked any better person in the world. We will be married 51 years next month. Can you believe that? And she has been incredible. But when I tell jokes about Boudreaux, I'm talking about my culture. And I got to say that because there's some folk out there. You may look at me and say, what's he doing picking on this ethnicity? And so I never make fun of someone else's culture. But one of the things about being a Kajan is we like to laugh at ourselves. Amen. And so you go to New Iberia, Shad, they're going to have some Cajun jokes in the newspaper. Because Boudreaux and Thibodeau and Gotro and all them other throws are going to, they laugh at each other. Amen. Quibido. <laughs> we got a bunch of does over there. And that's just who we are. And so, I, forgive me for the reference, I will never make fun of someone else's culture, and I mention that because in a multi-ethnic church, you don't do things like that. You build unity, not division. Amen. 
So let me tell you a little story. I needed to just say that. One dark night outside a small town in Louisiana where there was a chemical plant, a a fire started, and in the the blink of an eye, it went up in massive flames. Look at everybody and say, joke, joke, okay, joke. The alarm went out of all the fire departments for miles around, and when the volunteer firefighters appeared on the scene, the chemical company president said, our secret formula and, and all of our secret uh, products, the formulas for them are in the vault in the center of that plant. They must be saved. We can't get to it. I'll give $50,000 to the fire department that brings them out intact. No one moved. Fire was too desperately hot. And the frantic president of the company said, I'll give $100,000 to the fire company who saves our vital papers. And still no one moved. It was just too dangerous. And then from a distance, a lone siren could be heard as another fire truck came into sight. And it was the nearby Cajun Volunteer Fire Company. Amen. And it was composed of Cajans, Cajuns over the age of 65. And to everyone's amazement, that little rundown fire truck roared right past all the newer sleek engines that were parked outside the plant. And without even slowing down, it drove straight into the middle of the inferno. And outside, the other firemen watched in his amazement as these old timers all jumped off in the middle of the fire, fought it on all sides, brought it under control, saved the secret formula. And as they brought it out to the president, the grateful chemical company president announced it for such a superhuman feat. He was up in the reward to $200,000. And he walked over to personally thank each one of these brave firefighters. And the local TV news reporter rushed in to capture the event on film and asked the chief whose name was Boudreaux. What are you going to do with all that money? And Boudreaux said, well, he's 70 years old. He said, the first thing we're going to do is fix the brakes on that fire truck. That's what we're going to do. (laughs) You need some brakes in your life. You need to know where to put on the brakes to stop some things that are going on. Hello. Because this flesh will carry you into the middle of a raging inferno that you can't escape from. And that's why we've got these things on the platform and we'll add some more. A weight bench, a treadmill. I mentioned Anthony Clark. You know what? All that muscle. You know how you keep your heart and your lungs working properly? Aerobic conditioning. You got to get some air inside those lungs. You got to give your heart a good beating. And this speaks of the spirit because that's the breath you breathe. And the weights speak of resistance training. You're not going to believe it, but I used to lift 465 pounds. That was my best. Can't do that with all the paralysis from these accidents I've had anymore. I can't, I can't hardly lift anything now because of that. But the simple truth of the matter is you will never get stronger without resistance in your life. You got to fight some stuff. You got to pump some brakes. You got to put out some fires in your life. Can somebody in the building say amen? Samson was a man of incredible strength. He was very strong physically, but inside he was very weak. In several areas of his life, the spirit of the Lord could come upon him and he could tear the locked gates of a city from their moorings and carry the whole shebang up a hill and leave it on the top of the hill and laugh. But inside he was a desperately flawed and weak 
person internally. He was so weak. He is the classic example of what happens when you elevate someone for their gift before they have developed their character. You didn't hear what I said. You never, never elevate someone on the basis of giftings alone. If they don't have character, they will get hurt and you will too. And here's why. Because when you elevate somebody, not only does it make their gift more visible, it makes their weakness more visible too. More people can be injured and wounded. And so I see that so much in the kingdom where people that had great gifts are being elevated, but they never address their character issues. In this series, I want us to address character issues. I want us to address internal weaknesses, and I'm going to be very plain and specific. Do you know what the average age is now when kids start watching pornography? Nine years old. We're dealing with epidemics in our society that are ripping our society apart. Samson fought Israel's battles and defended the honor of God without ever seeming to realize that his own life was dishonoring the God he was trying to defend. Look at Judges 16, 1 through 3. Now Samson went to Gaza and everybody say Saul. He saw a harlot there and went into her. Saul, it always begins with what you're looking at. When Eve saw the fruit that it was desired as food and to make one wise, Saul, then she took. It always begins with what are you seeing? Can I tell you as your pastor that we got some stuff being pumped into our homes across the television that you should never allow in your house? You should never allow that. There's an open sewer running through most Christian homes and then we wonder why our kids get messed up. If you're not monitoring what your children are watching on the internet, if you are not trying to put the brakes on in your own life, you hear me, it will carry you into the middle of things you don't want to be involved in. He saw, there's some things I can't be looking at if I want to be a man of God. I've made a covenant with mine eyes, Job said. I will not look upon a maid. I'm not going to allow myself to get into a situation where I'm looking at things I shouldn't look at because the next step is I will begin to move toward that and I will indulge in things I shouldn't be indulging in. Ask David. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath. Listen to this, verse 2, when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night. Do you see that? They were quiet all night. Saying in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. The enemy will lay a trap for you and let you lay there in your stuff, in your mess, and then show up after you've done got engaged in something you don't know how to get free from. That's when he springs the trap. Look at your neighbor and say, the enemy is trying to set a trap for you. Would you do it? And tell them he's going to do it through your own weakness. 
We blame the devil all the time. There's too much Flip Wilson theology in the church. Anybody remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? He had a character he called Geraldine. And she had dressed up and she was a preacher's wife. And anytime something went wrong, she'd say, well, the devil made me do it. No, honey, it's not the devil that's making you do it. It's your own flesh. You've got strength, but when you flip that around, there's a weakness built into it. With our flesh, we can offer worship to God. With our flesh, we can bring dishonor. So Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Samson started out with great promise, but his unaddressed weaknesses kept him from being all he could be. I want to ask you right now, what is keeping you from being everything you could be for God, for your family? I'm not going to just gloss over that and race on to the next point. I'm asking you to think about it and be honest with yourself. What's holding you from being everything you could be as a man or woman of God? Because you see, that's what uncorrected weaknesses do, isn't it? They keep us from being what we were created by God to be. And that equals unfulfilled destiny. We actually only find two places in scripture where Samson prayed. One was after he killed 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. He had become very thirsty and cried out to the Lord. First time we ever read of him praying. But look at how it happened in the manner of his prayer. Do you see what I see in this? Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And verse 17 says, when he finished his boasting. There you go. Boasting. Look what I just did. He threw away the jawbone. And the place was named Jawbone Hill. And now Samson was very thirsty and he cried out to the Lord. First time we read that he ever prayed. He's so strong he doesn't need God, you see. He's such a good public speaker. He's such a good leader. He doesn't need God. He's so good at his job. Makes such good money. Who needs God under these circumstances? And now then he's boasting. Look what I just did. And he gets thirsty and cries to the Lord. But look at the manner of his prayer. You have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall of the hands of these pagans? I don't see any humility in that. I don't see Samson getting on his knees and saying, God, I have no idea how you could use me to do this. This is physically impossible if you had not shown up. Lord, I could not have done what I've done today. Thank you for using me. Now, I don't hear, I don't see thank you one time in any of this. He just looks up at God and says, look what I just did for you, Lord. Mm-hmm. And now then you're going to let me die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? Like, God, you better show up. I did my part. Where are you at now? It's so arrogant, it's unbelievable. He wasn't so thirsty, though, that he couldn't boast, was he? He, you know what Samson's problem was? Unbridled pride. And at the root of many of our problems, that's where we struggle, is pride. You know what pride is? 
It's insecurity covered by compensation. I'm preaching to you right now. That's the person that's always got to point out the weakness of the problem and everything because if I'm going to be associated with it, it's got to look perfect, right? Because I'm so insecure that I cannot in any way be associated with failure lest it, my image slip for just a moment. I am going to talk, amen. And what ends up happening is you become critical when instead of being a contribution, you want to say, well, this won't work. That, that weight bench on the platform, somebody's going to trip over it. Oh my God, do you see these weights up here on this rack? Suppose a child comes along. We've got ushers posted right over here. We've got them all over the place. They're going to move all this out of the way when I'm done. But instead of saying, you know, pastor's making the point that we need to get in a spiritual gym. They're going to find everything they can wrong with it. You say, we're not building lives that are holy and filled with freedom and love. And there's going to be some other stuff up here. You're going to see some prison bars too. You're going to see some red light districts before I'm done. Because your flesh will lead you into the middle of something you don't want to get involved in. Trust me. And you may think you can keep it covered up. But listen. Samson failed. His arrogance and pride led him to believe he didn't need to live by God's moral code of righteousness. He was above that in his mind. He depended upon his strength. And he felt strong enough to face life without needing to address his weaknesses. And I won't tell you better address your weaknesses. Don't do what Samson did. Don't. He took God for granted. That's why you need to be a worshiper because in worship you tell him, I can't live without you. I can't make it without you. You're the best thing that ever happened in my life. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen, amen. And here's the deal. His arrogance worked until it didn't. Do you hear me? And your stuff will work until it doesn't too. Because you see, whatever is on the inside is working its way to the surface right now. And one day Samson woke up and his strength was gone. And he fell into the hands of the enemy and he paid a terrible price, and I'm just about done, for not having conquered his personal weaknesses. He was betrayed by the woman he loved and he had his eyes put out by the Philistines. To quote an old country and western song, he had been looking for love in all the wrong places. And you pretty much get what you find there too, hear me. Amen. He's had his eyes put out because your weakness will destroy your spiritual sight. And he was made to grind the meal of the Philistines and take the place of an ox And there was the grindstone and they put their corn or their maize there. And blind Samson spent the rest of his life going in circles while the Philistines laughed at him, grinding the meal of the the Philistines. Who am I talking to right now that's going in circles? Who am I talking to whose life is not getting any better? Because you ought to be going from glory to glory and strength to strength and faith to faith. Can I hear somebody say amen? 
He experienced extraordinary pain and humiliation, especially in the end. His humiliation was so great because of the flaws he had failed to face that he was forced to address them. And this is what life will do. It will make you address your weaknesses. It will make you. I promise you, you're going to have to deal with it someday. So why don't you get in the spiritual gym and get some word in your heart and, and go through some resistance training and put on the brakes in your life and say, devil, I'm not going that direction. I'm not. I'm getting rid of this thing. I'm putting it under the blood. There's nothing good in my flesh. And I'm not going to wait until it destroys me before I address it either. I'm not just not going to do it. You see, people only change for one of three reasons. One is they learn enough they can. That's why education is such a great benefit. You take some little Maasai teenage boy in the middle of, of East Africa raised in a mud and cow manure boma that's a little bitty hut. That boy will never do anything with his life if he doesn't get an education. That is all he knows. But if you give him an education, he can leave that and move to a different level. They call them Morans, M-O-R-A-N. They're the warriors. That boy will, will spend his life there and never do anything but follow the tail end of his, his, his cattle wherever they wander because they're a nomadic tribe. But if you give him an education, hello somebody, he can become a member of society that exists today. Because you see, there was society yesterday and there's society today. Oh, come on, help me out here. You didn't drive a horse and buggy to church. Amen. Uh, people say we need to preserve certain parts of society. That's so cruel to them. You're going to live in your nice house that's air conditioned with a television and drive a car and go to restaurants and you're going to make them struggle in the middle of a little boma in a desert-like area? That's just not right. Give that boy an education and let him develop a life. Give that girl an education. Let her build a life. And so you can change if you learn enough that you can. Number two, you can change if you're empowered enough that you're able to change. And that's where the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is so transformative. You get God living on the inside. He can change your life. Oh, somebody in the building say, that's right. What, am I in the wrong house? Is there anybody in this place that has a Holy Ghost? I mean the real, genuine fire of God living on the inside. Am I talking to somebody that God brought you out of some stuff? <laughs> you remember where God brought you from. Don't you act like you were just, oh, I've been holy my whole life. I was like John. I was filled with the Holy Spirit from my mother's womb. No, you weren't. If it hadn't been for the Lord, you'd still be in the mess you were in, just like I would still be in the mess I was in. But I can do all things through Christ. His strength, his empowerment lifted me up. The third reason that people change is they hurt enough that they must. And you want to know which one of these three reasons is why most people change? It's not because they learn enough they can or they become empowered enough that they're able most people change for the latter reason. They heard enough they must, and that's what Samson did. He heard enough that he had no choice. And in the same way, if you don't face your issues, two or three divorces later, you're going to face them. 
You're going to hurt enough. You're going to start reading books you didn't want to read. Your wife tried to get you the one three wives ago, tried to get you to read the, the five languages of love. You didn't have it. Now, now you're getting Woman's Day magazine to read everything you can. Because you don't want to go through that kind of pain anymore. Why do you wait until then to address the weakness? Amen. I don't have time for church. You get messed up enough in your life, you're going you're gonna to reach whatever lifeline anybody throws you. And if God is, is anywhere in the neighborhood, help, Lord, help me. I need your help. One of the ways Samson confronted weakness in his own life and even turned it into a strength is that after he was captured and made to grind at the meal, he began to develop a relationship with God. Of all the things you can do in the books you can read and the people you can meet and the groups you can join, this is by far the most helpful. In his captivity, the enemy failed to notice something about Samson. While he's grinding at the meal, his hair's growing. Oh, Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Somebody ought to say, I'm changing right now. I'm changing right in front of the eyes of the enemy and he doesn't realize it. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You see, before, he was a Nazarite that looked the part but didn't have the relationship. He didn't cut his hair, didn't drink wine, but now his hair was cut. Here's why. If you look the part but aren't on the inside, someday what's on the inside will be what people see on the outside. Amen. And Samson addressed his stuff. And while he was grinding, he became on the inside what he used to not be on the inside. And he actually became a Nazarite. He developed a relationship with God. Now he didn't just look like one, he was one. And they called him, Judges 16, 25 through 28, to the temple of Dagon, their demonic spirit that they worshiped and said, let him perform for us. And they called Samson and made sport of him. And there he is, a blind man, lifting these great big weights and all of this. And the devil's so stupid. You would think if they saw him lifting those weights, they'd say, ah, we gotta get, fix this. What's going on? Oh, they're laughing. Look at him perform his feats of strength. And he tells the young man, bring me over to the pillars that I can rest and lean against them. (laughs) Amen. The temple was filled with about 3,000 men and women that were the lords of the Philistines. And then Samson called to the Lord. Now, this is the second time he prayed. Notice the difference in this prayer and the first one. He said, oh, Lord God, remember me? Say it, I pray. Say it, I pray. Second sentence, strengthen me, I pray. Boy, he's praying twice now in the space of one paragraph. He's only prayed once before his entire life, and it was arrogant. And he says, I pray just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine from my two eyes. I've got a word for somebody. Because the enemy will cause your weakness to make your destiny be aborted. 
He will use your weakness to undo the reason God brought you here. But I need you to know the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance or metanoia. That means changing his mind. God never changes his mind. If in your struggle you will turn to God, your destiny will come back. Your ministry will come back. I'm preaching to somebody right now. I need somebody to say, it's coming back. Would you do that? It's coming back. 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 Yeah, I know you've been through some stuff. I know you've struggled with some things. But God never forgot why he created you. And if you will turn to him, he will help you to turn your weakness into a strength. This, as I close, is one of the saddest stories that you will ever read, in in my opinion. And certainly, verse 28 is one of the saddest in the entire Bible. Samson says, remember me. And he says in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 16, he took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. God wants to use you to tear the enemy's system apart. You're here because God wants to use you to wreck the devil's kingdom. God wants you to tear down that temple to the enemy. Oh, I'm preaching right now. I need you to put your hand on your own head and say, I have a destiny. Would you do that? Tell God, I have a destiny. I'm claiming it. I'm not letting it go. Release me into my destiny, God. Don't let my weaknesses hold me back. And he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And this is the verse that is so horrifically sad. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He hurt so much and it endured so much public humiliation that he said, God, I want you to use me for the purpose in these last few minutes of my life, the purpose for which I was created, but let me die doing what I need to do. Now, that's my prayer. I just don't want to die right now. Amen. Say, me too. Would you do that? Amen. If there's a bus going, I'll wait for the next one. Thank you. I want to die doing what God called me to do someday. Someday. Not right now. But Samson said, let me die right now. And he pulled the temple down upon himself. And in his death, he killed more than he had killed in his entire life. And we too have weaknesses. We too. It breaks my heart that this man was saying, I've endured so much humiliation and embarrassment that I'd rather die right now than live another day. He could have prayed, God, use me to bring this temple down, kill all these people and get away from here and escape. He didn't. It was his embarrassment and shame. And that's what the enemy will yoke you with if you do not turn your weakness into a strength. He will make you live with shame. Guilt is what you've done. Shame is who you are. Amen. 
I need somebody to say, I am not who the devil says I am. Come on. I'm a child of God. I'm washed in the blood. I'm on my way up. Amen. Hallelujah. God's going to use me. God's hand is on my life. Stand with me across the building.